Well, let's, let's, let's turn to the Word. I'm very excited about, um, about what we're going to be looking at today, uh, which is a good thing because I'm preaching on it. <laughs> um, but I hope you are too. So just turn to Luke chapter 1. Um, I haven't put the passage up, although there will be um, excerpts later on as we, as we go through the sermon. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And we're going to be reading through until verse 38. So Luke chapter 1. 26 to 38. In the sixth, sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be and the angel said to her don't, don't be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, a very practical question, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. I'm sure you'll agree with me that life is unpredictable. Let's expect the unexpected. That's one of my little maxims. Expect the unexpected. And Mary's life was, was headed on a very ordinary sort of trajectory, or so she thought. She was betrothed to Joseph. And by all accounts, from what we read in the Bible, he was a good man. He had a good profession. He would provide well for her and he was likely to give her a lot of joy and happiness in life but then she reached a turning point and nothing would ever be the same after that christian historians when you read up on this believe that mary would have been between 15 and 16 years old that's young isn't it i mean i just think of sarah reed she was the first 16 year old that i could think of young sarah reed Think of her in relation to Mary. And she was betrothed to Jesus. And what that meant was that she was in um, an irreversible contract to be married to Joseph in due course. This was a marriage contract that was entered into between the two families and between Mary and Joseph. And to break that betrothal, which was far more serious than an engagement in our time, was in fact it was considered to be adultery so if she 
was found to be with child um, during the period of her betrothal, that would be considered adultery. And it would be even more serious if the father wasn't Joseph himself. And so under Jewish law, under the Levitical law, she could have been punished by being stoned. Her and the, and the man responsible would have been stoned. They couldn't actually apply that law at the time because the Romans were in charge and their law prevailed. And so the Jews weren't able to, to, to put people to death without the Romans giving their blessing. But that's how serious it was. Baking, breaking a betrothal was an incredibly serious thing to do. And yet, the angel told Mary that, number one, she was going to fall pregnant. Number two, it was going to happen before the wedding. Number three, Joseph wasn't going to be the father. Number four, nor was any other man going to be the father. I mean, it's no wonder that she was stressed. It's no wonder that she was concerned. Just imagine what the conversation with Joseph would have been like. Can you imagine having that conversation? Nothing would ever be the same. We often gloss over things, these things. Think of this little 15 to 16-year-old girl growing up in a strictly religious rural community and her body starts to change. Her stomach starts to swell. Imagine what that would have been like. Nothing would ever have been the same again. It's no wonder that Mary was greatly troubled when she heard what the angel said. And it's no wonder that she left Nazareth to go and visit her relative, Elizabeth, because all of those rumors would, been, would have been spinning around. God was so gracious to provide this relative who was going through a similar experience to her to go and have some encouragement. In, in fact, it's no wonder that Joseph decided to go to Bethlehem for the census with Mary when she was due to have the child because they just wanted to get away from, from Nazareth and the stigma that was attached to them there. I'm sure that they could have worked it, that they went for the census at some other time or that something else could have been done. And I think the truth is that every one of us can relate to this because we've all experienced some sort of a turning point in our life, some moment when everything changes. There's a, there's a before life is life, is, is this way, and then there's an after. It's changed. There's been a turning point. I can remember early in the afternoon on the 1st of July, 2013, when the phone rang, Gail went and answered it. She came to my office and she said, that was the GP. Remember those tests that I had recently? How could I forget? I've got cancer. We've all had moments like that when we perhaps lose a loved one unexpectedly, or we're called into the boss's office. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you go. Whatever it is, there are these turning points, and nothing is going to be the same. And we need to ask ourselves the question, how do we deal with these turning points? How do we deal with irreversible change? How do we respond? And so what we're going to do is we're going to reflect on that question today, and we're going to do it under these four headings. And it all comes from the story of Mary. Believe, submit, consider, and treasure. So let's dive into the first one, believe. 
I know it's the case with me, but often when we enter these time, times of rapid change, we don't handle it terribly well. And we make, we make things a lot more difficult for ourselves than we need to. Think of old Zechariah, for example. Uh, he was mentioned, I, I mentioned earlier, Mary's relative, Elizabeth. Well, Zechariah was Elizabeth's husband. Let's read. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous before God. In other words, they were walking according to the law of God, the law of Moses. Walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, which was surprising in those times because under the, under the Old Testament covenant, God said, if you obey my commandments, you will be blessed. You'll have great harvest. You'll have lots of children. And so people immediately would have thought that Elizabeth and Zechariah were unrighteous people, but they weren't. Luke makes it clear here that they were, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And then one day, there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord. And let's carry on reading. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Prayer, presumably, for a child. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And after this announcement, the angel told Zechariah about John and what he was going to do. And then Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? He's questioning. Why? Because I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The strange thing is that Mary also asked a question, didn't she? She also questioned the angel, just as Zechariah had. But there was a difference, because when Zechariah questioned the angel, he did it from a place of unbelief. He'd been praying for a child, and now that this amazing messenger, an angel, how many of us have been visited by an angel, comes, tells him the news, he doesn't believe it. But look at, look at Mary's response in verse 45. The angel says, and blessed is she, no, sorry, this is Elizabeth saying to her, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary recognized immediately. Do you see? the words that were spoken to her from the Lord. She recognized immediately that those words which were coming from an angel were from the Lord. You might think that that would be obvious, but remember the Bible tells us that sometimes Satan can even um, disguise himself as an angel of light. Whatever it is that's coming to speak to us, in a sense to bring the promises of God, we've got to make sure that the words that are being spoken line up with what God has said in his word so she recognized she learned to recognize the voice of god and she clearly knew god's ways you know we can see that because this message if that message which had come to us from an angel we probably especially if we didn't know the old testament we'd have thought what on earth is this angel talking about but mary knew straight away that the angel was talking about 
the Messiah, the one who's going to come and deliver Israel from his people. And then later on when she sings this song of praise to God, we can see once again that she's such a spiritually mature person. She knew the Old Testament so well. She said in verses 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel. She knew that this amazing child that was coming was not just going to be for her and Joseph, that he was going to be a servant to Israel. And, and God was doing it in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Folks, these are not the words of someone without a prior understanding and knowledge of God. In fact, Mary's maturity, as I've said, was just startling for a person of her age. Folks, do you know God well enough to recognize his voice? That's why we have the Bible. We get to know God primarily through the Bible, through reading the Bible. But the strange thing is that Zechariah also knew the Old Testament scriptures intimately. He was a priest of significant age and standing, otherwise he wouldn't have been ministering there in the holy place. The difference was that Mary believed. That was the difference. Mary believed once she'd recognized that this was the voice of God, and both of them were in a position to do that because they got to know God through the scriptures. Zechariah didn't believe, Mary did. Now, you could be in a place today where you believe what the Bible says about Jesus. And so when you, if you're in that place, and not all of us are, that's fine because we all start in that place, don't we? In a place of non-belief. But if you believe, and when you put your faith in Jesus, he converts you. He changes you. The Bible talks about rebirth, doesn't it? Because it's that radical, the change that happens. And he puts his spirit inside of you which is the very presence of God inside you. And then when you hear God's voice in the scriptures or in some other way, you recognize his voice. You understand it. And then the Holy Spirit helps you to believe as well. And you recognize because you're starting to get to know God. This is the exciting journey that, journey that we're all on, just getting to know God more and more. But without conversion, it's impossible to understand the scriptures and to get to know God through them. You know, you might know the scriptures, but you won't necessarily know God. Just think of all those experts that are mentioned in the Bible, the scribes and the Pharisees, as the Bible describes them. They all knew the scriptures intimately, but they didn't know God because when God appeared before them in the flesh as a human being, they didn't recognize him. In fact, they conspired to kill him. So maybe you're saying to yourself, well, this is a bit rough, Ian. You're saying that in order to get to know God, I've got to be converted, but I don't even necessarily believe yet. I doubt Christian beliefs. Where do I start? I would challenge you to doubt your doubts and to cry out to God. This is where it all begins. None of us really start completely believing, but what we need to do is we need to doubt our doubts. 
So maybe because of the way in which you've been raised, maybe you've been raised under other religious beliefs, or maybe you've been raised under a secular worldview, is go back to those beliefs and just say, are those things entirely credible? Can I doubt those things? Because if, I, if there is an element of doubt, then I need to cry out to God and ask him to reveal himself to me, to start to show me something about himself so that I can get to know him. If you believe, for example, that the universe, all of this was created as a result of all of this, which is basically what evolution says, it says that all of this explains all of this. We don't have to turn to the thought of there being a God. If you believe that, well, maybe, maybe you need to ask yourself some questions. How could all of this have just happened by chance? That would be like walking along a beach. I've used this illustration before and finding an intricately designed and constructed watch and opening it up and seeing all of those amazing cogs and gears and saying, wow, this is incredible. I wonder where this came from. Look at what the wind and the waves and the sand have produced. That wouldn't be your reaction. Your immediate reaction would be, wow, I wonder who made this thing. Such a clever person. So start to doubt your doubts. What about all the incredibly gifted, intelligent, um, wonderful people throughout the generations, people who've influenced the course of history, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? What about all of them? Surely that should introduce a certain amount of doubt in our minds. Doubt your doubts and call out to God and he will start to reveal himself to you. I have no doubt about it. The Bible says, if you knock, the door will be opened. If you seek, you will find. Doubt your doubts. So, we've been exploring what to do when we reach a turning point, that moment in time when everything is going to change irreversibly. The first thing that we need to do is to listen up for the voice of God and, and listen out so that when he speaks, You'll hear him and you'll recognize him, that his voice actually won't be drowned out by all sorts of fear and anxiety and activity and things that you're doing out of a sense of panic. No, just take a deep breath and just say, God is in this. I want to hear his voice and I want to respond to it in faith. And start searching the scriptures. Start reminding yourself of the promises and truth that apply to your situation. Remind yourself of these things. Meditate on these things. Sing songs about these things. That's why we do it on a Sunday. That's why we sing about how amazing God is because it reminds us in the crises of life that we have a foundation on which we can build our lives. But then most importantly, believe in these things. Put your faith in your tr and your trust in these things. Act on the basis of these things, not on the basis of your fears or your anxieties or other things. So that's the first thing. The first thing is to believe. The second thing is to submit. We've talked about what a momentous change Mary was about to face, and she understood it. Because that's why she asked that very practical question, how on earth is this going to happen? <laughs> how am I going to end up with this child? I haven't slept with Joseph. I haven't slept with anybody else. She knew what was coming, and yet this is what she said. 
She said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Wouldn't it be amazing if we prayed that prayer every day? Behold, I am the servant, literally the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is submission, folks. Let's have a look at a definition of submission. Accept or yield to authority. Folks, the Bible reveals God to us as the one who is in control of everything. Doesn't he say that in, doesn't, doesn't Paul say that in Ephesians? He said that the one who works everything in accordance with the purpose of his will. The one who works all things, good things, bad things, no matter what it is, he is in charge and he works all things. Are we willing to accept and to yield to his authority? I can assure you of one thing, and I know this from personal experience. If you don't accept it, if you don't submit, there's no ways that you can enjoy peace because you will always be fighting and in resistance with God. We come into peace with God when we submit ourselves to him, when we recognize that he is the one who is in charge, he is God, and we are created beings. We are not the same as him. Accept or yield to his authority. And then if we talk about, if I submit this microphone to a test, I'm subjecting it to a particular process of testing. Are we prepared to submit to God as he puts us through a process of changing us into the likeness of Christ? Are we prepared to do that? It'll be the most wonderful thing if we do, because that's how we were created to be. We were created to be in a submissive relationship with our creator, becoming steadily more and more like Christ. That's what we need to do. But you know, it's so difficult, isn't it? Do you find it difficult? There's that part in Romans 12 where Paul says, offer yourselves up as living sacrifices. And I can remember years ago, it, it, it just struck me so much, um, Ken Jenkins was busy preaching up at Inyanga, and he said the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps climbing off the altar. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? We need to constantly present ourselves as living sacrifices because we want to make everything about us. We do. That's our inclination. I read this article in the BBC News. It was about a guy called Sam Ryder. Um, and I could just so relate to his experience, and I'm not belittling him here. See, don't get me wrong. I, I think he's been incredibly honest, and I wish I could be that honest sometimes. Let me just read to you what he says, because he was the runner-up in this year's Eurovision competition. He used to be a surfer. He almost lost his life when he got dumped by a massive wave, changed to singing, and, and has done very well at it. There he is. He looks a bit like a surfer, doesn't he? Um, let me read to you what he says. I remember the first time I did a wedding. I was singing Whitney Houston. He's got a very high voice, as you can imagine. Um, I'd closed my eyes, and in my head I was telling myself, I'm smashing this song. And then it ended, and I opened my eyes, and no one even realized I'd started the song, let alone that I'd finished it. It took me aback, like, did I do something wrong? But I quickly realized, of course, that no one cared about me. They were there for the family. I was there to provide the atmosphere. And you know, I think we're all like Sam. We think it's all about us. We think that we're the center. We think that we're more important than the bride 
at the wedding ceremony. But of course we aren't. Jesus is the one who's important. I think this is another reason why we need to doubt our doubt, doubts, folks. And, you know, if you're still in that place where you're grappling, do I believe the Christian faith? Well, don't, don't forget that we all have that tendency to want to be in charge. And that means that we're going to bring a particular bias to the way we perceive things. We're going to be far more drawn, for example, to the idea of evolution because it doesn't mean that we have to submit to anybody. It doesn't mean that there is a God who expects things of us. Or it could be some other form of religion, which essentially is about you, you doing things, not about God and submitting to him. We've got to be so careful. Let's be like Mary. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's believe. Let's submit to the will of God. Let's be like Jesus. What did he say? He said, my father, if it be possible. He was in the garden of Gethsemane, grappling over whether to submit to God by dying on the cross. He was grappling so much that there was actually blood coming out in his sweat. And he said, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, the cup of suffering, dying on the cross for us. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Believe, submit, consider. Let's read verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. What an understatement. I mean, there's just so much tied up in that, isn't there? And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let's think about Joseph for a, for a moment. We've been thinking about Mary. We've thought about Zechariah. Let's think about, about Joseph. In, in many ways, I can relate to Joseph a little bit more than I can relate to Mary because I've never actually received an angelic messenger. Usually what happens is when I face a turning point, it's a fait accompli. It's that telephone call that I had no control over. And, and I think it's the same for most of us. It's circumstances that are beyond our control, which are in God's control, that we are faced with and we suddenly think, oh my word, now what am I going to do? We've got this curved ball. Um, and so what is it that he does? Well, just look at verse 20 there. It says that, but as he considered these things. That word, enthumiomai, means to ponder in one's mind, to think of, to meditate, to recall, to revolve in mind, to ponder, to think, to deliberate. This is, this is what Peter was doing. Do you remember when he was on the roof praying and God sent a, um, a vision to tell him something new about how his ministry was going to progress? 
and he ended up seeing this vision of a big sheet coming down with all sorts of um, animals and food in it. And God said to him, eat from it. And Peter said, no, there's no way he's going to eat from that because under the Old Testament laws, all of that is unclean. And then afterwards, it says that whilst Peter was pondering on this, the answer to his question came in, on that occasion in the form of some people who'd been sent to him. And so that's what, that's what um, Joseph was doing, is he's been hit with this curveball. Instead of, instead of going around in a flat panic, he considers it. And he starts thinking about the fact, well, yes, I know that Mary appears to have done something wrong, but I, I just can't get over the fact that she genuinely seems to believe that she hasn't slept with anybody. So, I, I mean, I love her. I just, I can't, it, I, it's right that I should divorce her. I can't get over that. But, but really, I need to do it in a quiet way. He was, he was trying to find out what sort of um, principles uh, from his upbringing and from, from the Old Testament that he should apply in this situation. And folks, that's what we need to do when things start to go pear-shaped, is we need to turn immediately to God. Start pondering, start working it out, start praying, start meditating, start asking yourself, what have I learned in the past that God has taught me that applies to this situation? Are there any promises that he's given me in the past that apply to this situation? What does the Bible tell me? How do I need to respond? How do I need to react? Because almost invariably we make things bad for ourselves, like Zechariah did, because we respond in the flesh which is our tendency to disobey God, rather than responding in the Spirit. Let's take a deep breath and say, Holy Spirit, you're the presence of God in me. What do I need to do here? Let's ponder. Let's enthuneomai, which is a great word. I wish it was an English one. And when Peter and Joseph did that, God showed them what to do. He showed them, if you, if you like, what they had to submit to. And so that's what we need to do when things go pear-shaped. Believe, submit, consider. And then lastly, treasure. On the night of Jesus' birth, God sent some shepherds, a host of angels, to break them the news about the birth of Jesus. And so they went, uh, let's read, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. The angels had spoken to them and told them all sorts of stuff. And all who heard it, listen to this, wondered at what the shepherds told them. So the majority of people were wondering. But... In contrast to the majority of people who were wondering, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Folks, there is such a gold mine to mine here. The difference between wondering, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. I wonder how this is going to turn out. This is interesting stuff that we've heard, but mm, I'm not sure, I'm just wondering about this, as opposed to Mary, who treasured these things up. She recognized these things as being from God, as being the voice of God, if you like, speaking to her, encouraging her. So she treasured them up, 
and she pondered on them in her heart. I don't know if you ever watched The Passion of the Christ. And there's a part in that movie where Jesus is carrying his cross through the streets of Jerusalem. And he's really struggling to do it because he's, he, he's being um, whipped um, and, and he's battling to carry that cross. And the soldiers are hitting him to try and urge him along. It's before they decided to pass the cross on to Simon of Cyrene. And Mary is in a side street and she can hear the, the crowd coming. She can hear them coming and she can hear the sound of the soldiers beating Jesus. And every time it happens, she flinches. flinches. And then he comes across the mouth of the alley and he falls under the weight of the cross. Now, this, is, this has been created, I suppose, for us by the people who, who made the movie. But you can imagine that in some way it did happen like that. She was right there when Jesus was being crucified. How on earth does a mother go through that experience and still be in submission to God? It's because she had treasured up the promises of God. That's how she got through it. She treasured up the promises of God and she had been spending a lifetime of pondering them in her heart. And that's what got her through. This is not about me. This is about the people of Israel. But even when she sang her song, we saw that she was prophesying about this being for people beyond Israel as well, people like us who are not Jews. All of these things she treasured in her heart. And folks, it's so important in life when we hit these curved balls is to, is to treasure and ponder up what God says to us. And for example, in, that, in, in those early stages of when Gail had the cancer and we didn't know what was, what was going on, when, when I was at university, God brought alive to me Psalm 84, and he used it as a way of, of leading me and encouraging me to come back to Zimbabwe. And in Psalm 84, it says, you will walk through the valley of tears and make it a place of springs. And I felt God saying to me, and I've treasured this, and I've pondered it, and it's kept me going through difficult times, because God said to me, you will walk through the valley of tears, you will walk through dry places, but you will make it a place of springs. Um, and so that psalm meant a lot to me, it meant a lot to Gail, it was read out at our wedding, and then when, when Gail, when we were um, waiting for results, and things were very uncertain, Somebody came and dropped off a card for us, and they had written at the bottom, Psalm 84. So that was a confirmation, but it was also another promise to Gail and I, and in particular, the verses that it says at the end of Psalm 84, where it says, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is upright. You know, a sun and a shield. The sun is a source of life, isn't it? A shield is a source of protection. What he was saying to us all those years ago is, I'm there for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. And so, folks, we need to be doing this. We need to be doing it all the time, having our ears pricked open for God. Imagine if we hadn't read that card carefully and seen Psalm 84 there and gone off and read it you know, imagine if we'd missed that opportunity. Let's keep our eyes open. And so, lovely encouragement today from the Bible, from the Word of God, from these amazing saints 
that believed in him thousands of years ago to believe, to submit, to consider, and to treasure. And I pray that you will do those things in the week ahead. And as you face, because many of us are facing difficult things, almost invariably life is like two railway lines, isn't it? Some good, some bad. Let's believe, let's submit, let's consider, and let's treasure. Shall we pray? Father, more than anything, we believe that you are the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. That you are eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in your power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. We believe, we believe, Father God, that you are amazing. We believe that you sent Jesus Christ to take our place on, this, on the cross, to die for us so that we could spend an eternity with you, and that no matter what happens on this earth, even though it's under your control, we will make it to spend an eternity with you in heaven. And as a, as a body here today, we just want to submit to you. We just want to say again, you are God and we're not. We believe that you're God and we want to submit to you. We want to love you. We want to show our love by being obedient to you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.